listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us each week as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what is going on in the world right now and what is likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. We've long been occupied with the military threat from China, but a new article by Michael Clare suggests we're overlooking another major security risk posed by Beijing, and that's climate change. Keith is here to tell us more. What does Clare mean when he says this? The article is called Climate Change Will Supersede Everything the Pentagon's massive intelligence failure on China. So what has attracted his attention to this is the fact that the Pentagon is required by law to provide Congress and the public with an annual report on military and security developments involving the People's Republic of China over the next 20 years. So it's it's a document with a long-term view of the future. So the most recent version for 2022 has just been published, runs to 196 pages. And what Michael Clare, who's a professor in New England in the United States, what Michael Clare has identified is there is no reference at all to climate change. Right. So it's just purely, you know, aircraft and and all that sort of thing. And for me, when I read the article, it jogged my memory of a debate that we've been having for many years now about how you define national security. Mm. Is national security simply a question of looking at the size and the strength of the Navy, Army and Air Force and other services, or are there bigger issues that need to be borne in mind? And so it's interesting, um, about a decade and a half ago, I was invited to speak at the Australian Attorney General's Conference on Security, and there were two speakers. One in the morning was um, speaking from the point of view of the traditional conception of national security, which is that you you simply think about national security in terms of weaponry, etc. I was asked to provide in the evening an alternative point of view to this person, particularly to focus on climate change. Mm -hmm. So to argue that climate change is a national security issue. Now, this particular columnist working for a national newspaper, which is very sceptical about whether or not there is a problem with climate change, was obviously reflecting the views of his bosses by saying national security for us should be simply just a military approach. I was arguing, as per the way in which we now teach security studies, that you take a broader definition of what constitutes national security considerations, and these need to include the environment. Now, what I found fascinating reading Michael Clare's article is that the Pentagon has gone down that old traditional route They're thinking about the threats from China over the next 20 years and are simply dealing with it as a military problem. Whereas Michael Clare is arguing, look, climate change will supersede everything. Mm. It is just so big. It's going to be a real headache for China, but also a real headache for the United States. So I found his article very interesting indeed, saying the Pentagon has really got to widen its horizons, which is the debate that I was having with the uh, conference for the Australian Attorney General Mm. a decade and a half ago. There you go. We haven't moved forward. We're still (laughs) stuck. I wanted to ask you, you know, when I was reading this, I was going, how are they defining this as a security risk, climate change? Can you explain how that would be? Like, what is the security risk of climate change? 
So why he's saying that it, it, and why I've also argued, is that China is now the world's leading emitter of climate-altering carbon emissions, with the United States as the greatest of all emitter, but the United States is trying to reduce its level of emissions. So it's China that's now out front. And secondly, China itself will be subjected to extreme climate change harm in the years to come. For example, many of its big cities are on the coast and therefore subject to flooding. It relies heavily on, obviously, its own domestic food production, and that could be disrupted by floods or droughts, Mm. etc. And then thirdly, both the American and Chinese armed forces will be devoting many of their resources in the future to disaster relief and recovery. And, of course, as we are recording this, newspapers in New Zealand are covering stories of the mobilisation of the New Zealand Defence Force Mm. to help the beleaguered people on the North Island of New Zealand. So you, you are using military forces increasingly for civilian purposes to help counteract the impact of adverse environmental impacts. And we've seen that recently as well, and of course, here in Australia and in the United States. So the argument is, therefore, that both countries, the United States and China, will have to use their military to dealing with environmental problems rather than getting ready to fight each other. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Priorities, guys. Yeah. So you sort of mentioned it then that China is now one of the biggest polluters. Where does it sit, you know, in the global scheme of things? Are they doing more at the moment to combat climate change or are they kind of lagging behind? Well, the problem for China is that it's still the major consumer of coal. And coal is seen as one of the the problem issues when it comes to generating climate change. And so 50% of total world coal consumption is done in China. So Mm. over 50% done in China. So that's a huge consumption. Now, of course, that's good news for our coal producers in Australia. Yes. Um, But it's bad news for the environment. So, yes, at the moment, China is trying to be a world leader in terms of solar energy, wind power. But its demand for energy is just so extreme, a bit like its demand for concrete. Remember, it's, it's undergone the biggest industrial revolution in world history. 700 million people lifted out of poverty yeah. in the last 40 years. That's an incredible achievement. But it has meant that China has had to use extensive energy resources and concrete and all the rest of it to generate you know, that good standard of living or improved standard of living for many of the Chinese people. So is Claire arguing that it should be China's climate change impacts that are being monitored by the Pentagon? Or is it more that we need to assess what resources, or the US has to assess, what resources it has to put out to help China in these events? Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I want to understand more what the Pentagon is, should be looking at according to this article. Well, what the Pentagon should be looking at is the, the whole issue of the threat to China with climate change. In other words, that there is a tendency amongst some American commentators to think of the Chinese as these individuals who are 10 feet tall, developing rapidly, and will be the number one country in the year 2049. Now, that's what President Xi claims. Mm-hmm. You know, that is part of the Chinese propaganda. China will be number one by 2049, which is the 100th anniversary of the Chinese Communist Party revolution, right? That's the significance of 2049. And so by that date, China will be number one. However, 
we do not spend enough time looking at some of the weaknesses underlying China. Now, we've looked at the whole problem of population. Yes. That China may grow old before it grows rich and that it will have to use more and more of its resources to pay for older Chinese people who are not in the workforce. Remember, we've benefited from the largest migration in the history of the world with all these hundreds of millions of people moving out of their ancestral villages into the Chinese cities, and they have then manufactured items for us at a very low cost, to such an extent that youngsters like yourself have no recollection about what inflation is like. I lived through the inflation of the the early 70s, Mm -hmm. right? But you youngsters, you have no history of that. And now suddenly we're reaching this point where inflation is a problem. So China has helped the world immensely by reducing the rate of inflation, at least up until recently. So that's been a great achievement on their part. Again, it goes back to this mythology about how wonderful China is and all the things it's achieving. But we also need to pay attention to the other weaknesses undermining China. Now, population is one that I've just touched on, but there's also how it is going to deal with the whole issue of climate change. And so Claire identifies a number of climate security vulnerabilities. One is critical infrastructure, like port facilities, military bases, transportation hubs, and low-lying urban centres, all along that heavily populated eastern coast. They could start to go underwater. Mm. That'll cause all sorts of problems. And then there's also the danger of internal instability arising from ever-increasing economic dislocation, food scarcity, and the failure of government action. And so you would then need to use your military just to keep everybody under control, as we saw, of course, during the COVID crisis. Yes. The military get mobilised just to keep control of the people. They're not worrying about an attack from the United States. They're too busy defending the government from its own people. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Thanks for your company this week. As we discuss arguments that China's impacts on climate change should be considered in US security briefings. Keith, if Claire's making this article that the US should be monitoring China around this space, should it be doing so with other countries? Yes, I think it would be useful if other countries were involved. Indeed, Michael Clare suggests perhaps even that there are opportunities for the United States and China to work together. Now, at the moment, we've focused so much on their adversarial relationship, but it may well be there could be scope for cooperation. For example, the Pacific Environmental Security Partnership, which is a network of climate specialists from the region, they meet annually at an event sponsored by the Pentagon. Yeah, right. There are no Chinese there. Uh Let's get the Chinese involved because they also are going to go underwater. And he also makes this funny, not funny, it's tragic. You know, we're, we're arguing over these... Chinese claimed islands in the South China Sea, well, they'd be gone by the end of the century anyway. So you're arguing over real estate, which is about to go underwater. That's right. Um, So what he is actually saying then is that the Pentagon should rethink its approach to climate change, take it on board as a major threat to security, and then also offer to work with China in trying to sort out these issues. That, That requires a major leap in imagination, because as I say, there are a number of commentators who take the view that the United States and China are on a collision course in military terms. Whereas what Claire is saying, well, 
climate change will supersede everything. Yeah. Another issue Claire brings up in this article is global food security. Mm. Can you talk us through that? Yes, indeed. So when two English people get together, they will say, how do you do, etc." right? If the two Chinese get together, they will ask, have you eaten? Uh-huh. Food is the number one priority in China. Right. And the emperor, whoever he or she may be, in whatever political system, retains the mantle of heaven for as long as they can feed their own people. Right. If they can't feed their own people, the people have a right to rebel. Okay. So the food security issue is crucial because China has to feed about 20% of the world's population, but it only occupies 12% of the world's arable land. And of that, much of the land is vulnerable to drought, flooding, extreme heat, and other disastrous impacts. For example, one of the reasons why China has to use oil is the hydroelectric system, which relies on water, in recent months has failed because there's been a lack of water flowing through the rivers, and so they're having to make greater use of the coal. So, as I say, China has to pay attention to food. If you don't get fed, you have a right to rebel. They don't want that. And they don't want that. <laughs> and, and so, yes, the whole issue of food is very important indeed. Do you anticipate the Pentagon to adopt this idea of assessing climate change as a security risk? It's interesting because at the time of the Obama administration, the Pentagon was moving towards recognising this broader definition of what constitutes security. And the reason they were doing that, by the way, is that they were losing bases to water. The biggest naval base they've got is at Norfolk, Virginia. Mm -hmm. In fact, I've spent a week there. It's a lovely location. The problem is that when you have a particularly big storm, you've got to send all the ships out to sea. Mm -hmm. You can't risk keeping them at anchor with all the choppy seas because they'll bang up against each other or whatever. Uh So the US Navy had made up its mind that we've got a problem with climate change, guys. Now, in Washington, D.C. itself, the politicians are still squabbling, got climate change deniers and all that sort of stuff. But on the coalface, the U.S. Navy had said, we know we've got a problem with climate change because of what it's doing to the ports. We've had the U.S. Air Force also expressing concern about climate change because their bases get flooded. If you have a heavy rainstorm, it disrupts the entire base. So we're in this weird situation, particularly at the time of the Obama administration, where Obama obviously took climate change seriously, but he had members of Congress in the Senate and the lower house who were still climate change deniers. Mm. They still are members of Congress that way inclined. So that was at the political level, but at the, the level of the armed forces themselves, they were saying we accept that climate change is a problem and that we've got to be coming up with contingency plans to cope with that. Unfortunately, later on we get four years of Trump. I think there were still people within the Pentagon talking about climate change, but you just didn't make it front of mind because Trump himself, for his own domestic political reasons, was a climate change denier. Mm-hmm. But it meant that the Pentagon was still doing its own research. But what we've got to do and what Michael Clare is is arguing for here is to enable the Pentagon to come clean with what it knows. A great example of this is the work done on the thinning of the Arctic ice. So in the old days, that's around the North Pole. Yeah. So in the old days, you could walk to the North Pole. It's difficult, but you could certainly do it. The ice was thick enough. Mm. 
And when the US started sailing submarines under that ice, they had to measure the thickness of the ice because if the submarine got into a problem, they needed to be able to punch up through the ice yeah. in order to rescue the submarine. Well, as they were measuring the ice each year, and this goes back decades now, they were seeing that the ice was getting thinner and thinner. Right. In fact, now it's actually very difficult to walk to the North Pole mm. because so much of the ice has now just disappeared. And so the Pentagon was collecting data on what we now call climate change well before we were calling it climate change. They're just simply saying there's something odd happening with the ice here, right? which is good news for submariners. Well, it'll be easier <laughs> to rescue them if necessary. But they were monitoring that. They were collecting all that data. Now, of course, we've got to be able to bring all that out into the open. But as I say, you've still got members of Congress who are in this state of denial. You do better if you've got a Democrat in the White House because you're more open to talking about these things. And I think that from Michael Clare's point of view, it would be great now to have the Pentagon develop a tradition whereby it accepts that climate change is a major issue and it needs to be looked at in the context of China. So you almost have a three-way relationship. You've got the United States, you've got China, and you've got what we're going to do about climate change. Mm -hmm. And that would offer a new way of thinking about the role of defence forces. Nobody is saying we should get rid of the defence forces. Indeed, it's quite clear in Michael Clare's article that we're going to need them into the foreseeable future because they're going to be there to support the civilian community in the event of these natural tragedies. So we need to make all these private discussions that you can imagine being held behind closed doors, bring them out into the open, even though it'll annoy some people in Congress. But we just have to say, look, climate change is a problem it's getting worse and we need to be making plans for it. My own view is that you cannot reverse climate change. We need to find ways of adapting. And that's a challenge for the Pentagon, along with everybody else, including our own defence forces, because they're going to be spending more and more time dealing with floods and droughts and helping civilians rather than going off and fighting other people's wars. Couldn't have said it better myself, Keith. Hopefully <laughs> someone does something soon. Thanks for your time and company. Thank you. Global Truths is presented by Dr. Keith Suter and me, Sasha Barber-Gatt. Audio production by Niall Fernandez. Theme and original music by Matt Nicolich.